Hello. Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. We're scholars of the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Canaday. And I am Jenny Carlson. And we are here once again. We have a new season of our favorite show. To bring, yes, to start our great task of recapping every single episode from season three. Y'all may have already heard our brief reaction episode, but this is really what we are here for, which is the recap and analysis. It is our bread and butter, and we're really excited to dive in to season three after such a long wait uh, with the stakes so very high and so many surprises ahead. Yes, and a lot of interesting twists and turns and some challenging ideas, and we're going to get to all of it in the next 10 episodes. Indeed. And I will try not to spoil, we will try not to spoil, stuff that comes later in the season in case you are... Watching along. Yeah, in in case you're watching along, which I can't imagine not binging Cobra Kai, but some people don't binge, so... Well, I mean, I think it's down to personal taste. I know there are some recap podcasts I listen to that are going back through older shows, and they do episodes week to week, and I try to watch the episode the week before the next podcast. So if if people like to do it that way, then I think that's cool. We Fair. can definitely do it that way. What an experience it was to have a new season premiere on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and just bananas to see the uptick in fan engagement and excitement and coverage and all the smart takes in like broader media. It's nice to see the show promoted at all. Yeah, it is. Especially, but it's been promoted a lot. Yeah. So, you know, we still have our, at least I do, like a diet of not watching or consuming too much that other people do about these episodes before we make our episodes. Right. But I've seen a little bit and it's delightful. So many new content producers as well as our old friends. That's been really great. And it makes me feel the stakes are heightened somewhat. Absolutely. Yeah. So should we say a little bit about where the show is as we enter this episode one? Well, if you are watching on Netflix, they might give you the little previously on Cobra Kai. Uh, we saw it when we first package. watched the season, but we haven't. It hasn't popped up for us since. Yeah, I think Netflix now automates that kind of thing. But I mean, the long and short of it is Miguel's in a coma. That's the big headline. That right? is the big headline. Miguel's uh-huh. in a coma because he fell from a balcony at school in a fight with Robbie, and Robbie has run away. Yeah, I mean, all of the fallout basically stems from that, from the big school fight. Where so everybody was karate fighting tangential to that we have uh crease through uh some creative uh single white femaling of johnny <laughs> has uh taken over the cobra kai dojo which really since he founded the cobra kai dojo it was his to take over technically well we can get into that later in terms of franchising who owns what that's true um but yeah so so crease has taken over and expelled johnny and johnny has also given up being a sensei right he's walked away from his cobra kai mobile he's thrown away his phone uh johnny doesn't know that Allie mills schwarber has sent him a friend request sam was also in the fight at the school because tori attacked sam and we'll see what happened there and we know that for daniel his chickens have come home to roost because he mentored Robbie and acted like he was a part of his family. But the minute he thought Robbie had done something, you know, wrong with Sam or the minute that Robbie actually went to Johnny for something is the moment that Daniel lost faith in Robbie and turned on him. So if Daniel hadn't turned on Robbie, Robbie might not have 
gone ham on Miguel in such a way, et cetera, et cetera. All of those dominoes fell in the prior season. And I should also add that the Cobra Kai's that Johnny left behind have been largely radicalized, right? As like... That's correct. Yeah, in the way of the fist. That's a very good 360 degree view of where we were at the end of season two. Absolutely. Yes. So, so the chips are down. Watching that finale in season two was the moment at which Cobra Kai really came out and said, you know what, we really are as a drama as much as a comedy. And in some ways we were a karate telenovela. So strap in, right? And now we're going to see how not just how our characters develop in this with these challenges, but how the showrunners engage with this new world that they're building emotionally as well as plot-wise. So, are you ready to jump in? I am so ready. All right. Then, without further ado, let's begin with Cobra Kai, Season 3, Episode 1, Aftermath. Aftermath. Ah, that Netflix logo gets me every time. Yes. So, fade in. <laughs> uh, we fade in on Miguel's tournament appearance. Uh, it, it looks and the like, announcer yes. makes it sound like maybe it's the tournament from season one. No, no. It says he's returning to defend his title from Cobra Kai. So this is oh. Miguel's defense of this title. Yeah. But it's a little it's a little vague as to when and where this is taking place. We don't know if this is a flashback, a flash forward or something else, but Miguel is definitely uh up on his feet and karate fighting a challenger from a um mysterious dojo here. Yes. We see Miguel defending, blocking. They're both getting uh punches and kicks in, but they're equally matched. Miguel can't seem to drive this guy back even though he's putting on some incredible moves. And then we flash to a very a series of scenes of Miguel falling in the balcony at the end of season two. And, and it's revealed that this is all a coma dream. Miguel yes. is literally fighting for his life within the dreamscape. Exactly. He's in traction in a hospital bed. And now we cut to the TV montage that we knew was going to happen, right? Where a woman reporting at the high school is talking about um, everyone being in an uproar about this karate and statements from concerned residents that also lampshade the strangeness of this show, like Larry Johnson, who says, yeah, I thought karate died out in the 80s. Absolutely. And then cut to Moon uh, <laughs> singing a fun karate protest song uh, at a rally for peace. We don't have to punch. Hey, let's go get some brunch and be friends. Don't quit your day job, Moon. Well, I mean, it's not her fault that she's so wealthy that she actually thinks we can solve our problems through going to brunch. I mean, food is the great social leveler, but in this case, it's going to take more than a, a mimosa. It's going to take more than one brunch to solve all this. Let's put it that way. Exactly. We also hear from this TV news exposition that the school administrators are having a meeting to quell parents' fears. And we see that on, on the TV screen in a restaurant bar that looks a lot like Chachi's from Office Space. Can I get you some pizza shooters, shrimp poppers, or extreme fajitas? Just coffee. Sounds like a case of the Mondays. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Com complete with the flair on the waiter's outfits. Multiple pieces of flair. So much flair. And they are looking at Johnny, who is very drunk at the bar. They're trying to kick him out, but uh, Johnny just wants to tell them that light beer is for pussies. Yeah, Johnny is drunk as the proverbial. He desperately wants that Coors banquet, but apparently he's down enough Bud Light to get real sloppy drunk. Yeah, he's watching the TV as the TV names all the names 
of the people involved in that fight, right? Robbie Keane has been expelled. Miguel Diaz is fighting for his life. Only in California would they name names like that of minors, right? This is, again, California rules. There are chickens at Halloween. Right. Um, you know, you drive before the age of 16. A, and, little, a little bit, yes. Yeah, and now you just name the names of minors on local TV. No big deal. Yeah. Um, but Johnny's about to hear from the TV news anchors of what Miguel's prognosis is, but the TV gets changed by two tough guys at the bar. Uh, a couple of dudes who look like they're probably used to being supporting players in a Sons of Anarchy or a Breaking Bad style show. Uh, these are some real rough looking dudes. They're uh, also pretty callous toward Miguel's plight. People want to watch the game. They don't give a shit about some coma kid. Johnny tries to start something and fails because these two dudes, as rough as they are, they just want to watch the baseball game. It's true. This is a Dodgers-friendly bar. And if you really look closely, you can see Joe Pirulli and Luan Thomas, two of the other writers of the show, are in the back pretending to be Dodgers fans, as Peter from Cobra Kai Companion caught on Twitter. Anyway, the guys tell Johnny that he could look up the news on his phone but he says he's thrown it away saying he's a loser they walk off and this is an echo of episode eight of season two when johnny beats up that guy who was treating carmen badly outside a bar yeah so as these guys walk out to the car and have a spanish language dialogue about where they're going next and whether anybody's going to get late anytime soon they have a pretty sweet looking car parked out on that garage but it does not stay sweet for long as johnny punches through the glass he uh hauls the other dude through the car window and you think that Johnny's going to get the upper hand on these guys until his friend comes out and uh, gets a good a couple of good hits in on Johnny. Yeah, this is this is so ironic because again we've had a Johnny fight in every uh, premiere episode of the show, right? In season 1, he fights against the high school bullies. In season 2, he fights against Crease. And so it looks like in season 3 he's going to get some good kicks in, but instead of doing his signature high kick, he just winds up wiped out and the tough guys from the car like call the cops because obviously Johnny destroyed their property and they step on his face. Yeah, we think that Johnny's going to get a beat down, but then we flash cut to a mug shot of Johnny, which is also our Cobra Kai title card for today. Of course, I would expect nothing less. Now, as it as the scene opens, we see Daniel and Amanda walking into the lobby of the high school, and Amanda is so angry. I'm going to tell the school board how incompetent they are. Heads will roll. You know, saying that oh, heads Amanda's are... big mad. Oh, yeah, she's big mad. And Daniel says, At least they expelled the girl who started all. But Amanda's talking about how it's so much worse than that because their dealership is a ghost town. Their name is Poison because, you know, now kicking the competition sounds absolutely toxic. It's suddenly not so cute, for sure. It's fun to see Courtney Hengler, who's normally the calm, cool voice of reason, uh, get to lose it a little bit. And she uh, apologizes, though, and she says she's on edge. And Daniel is completely owning that he got them into this, which is great to see, right? It's not like he's gonna he's in denial or anything. It looked like he might not figure his crap out at the end of season two, but he's clear on what's going on. Yeah, cut to the dimly lit uh, West Valley High School parent-teacher conference where we've got uh, all the parents in the audience grilling the... Grilling Counselor Blatt and Principal Lopez about all these issues. And also we start lampshading some stuff. Uh, Stingray <laughs> is now no longer in the picture for those who remember season two. Well, they want to make it clear when someone you know asks about the quote-unquote neckbeard 
who was wailing on students, they're like, Mr. Stingray never worked it. Which may be the line of the episode. Exactly. They're like, (laughs) I don't know her. And they're explaining that that Stingray is on probation and can't be allowed within 500 feet of any child, which explains, obviously, why Paul Walter Hauser is not on the show. And then another concerned parent wants to know how how we can be sure this isn't going to happen again. And Counselor Blatt, fulfilling her role as the clueless but dedicated school counselor, says they've inaugurated a new program called Hugs Not Hits, where the kids don't hit each other, rather they hug each other. It's Uh, like dare to keep kids off drugs, except it works. So she she says. Anyway, Principal Lopez cuts in and says, no, but what they're really saying is no more karate. When Daniel says another excellent line, which is, you don't need to turn this into some kind of karate footloose. That's right. Yeah, they kind of quote us when we talked about it last season. Mm-hmm. At this point, is is it going to become the place in Footloose where karate is banned just like dancing? But yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. I'm sure this is like, I mean, in the in the air, right? Yeah, I, I I wrote in my notes that the parents in this scene basically sound like the YouTube comments on a Cobra Kai episode. <laughs> they do. This is the first moment that we see uh, the showrunners incorporating kind of the meta culture of the show. Josh Held's voice. As I guess a concerned parent says, Bullshit! I heard you were the real bully. Parents, please, can we please? I guess Paul Walter Hauser's character Stingray was kind of an avatar of fans, but now all these people shouting out comments. But she was tramping around with that other girl's boyfriend. Sort of echo the ways in which different people interpret the situation. And they also reveal the contempt that people have for Daniel now, right? Absolutely. Even though he's saying, you know, when he went to school here, he was bullied and karate saved him, trying to show that it can be good. But Yeah, and then finally we hear from uh, a tough guy in a suit go, Oh, don't get all high and mighty, LaRusso. You're the one who taught these kids that my agi crap. You reap what you sow. Which I guess is a callback to Karate Kid 1, the Miyagi Turbo motorcycle. Well, and also how Mr. Miyagi always had to stand up to have his name pronounced correctly. And Daniel came to learn that pronunciation himself, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's one of my favorite Easter eggs from this episode. Anyway, Daniel and Amanda look pretty freaked out because... It's not going well. No. Meanwhile, in lockup... Johnny is uh, chilling in the drunk tank uh, when he turns... To his immediate left to see a uh, a gross uh, inmate ask Johnny if his foot looks infected. It does. It does. And Johnny is waiting to be released as a cop walks over and looks at his file. He's excited to see that the Applebee's guy is here. Yeah. Once again, the writers of this show remind us that Johnny has had some incident at Applebee's. Yes. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a big flashback to that in season four. But he has an issue, as the officer says, with shitty chain restaurants. The cop also seems to recognize him as Robbie's dad, uh, who recently seriously injured Miguel Diaz at the giant school fracas. Apparently, everybody in the Valley knows this news story and has been following it. Yeah, and the cop is dissing Johnny, saying, well, I guess the garbage doesn't fall far from the truck. And this gives an opportunity for us to see how Johnny feels about Robbie. Johnny says, Robbie's nothing like me. He's a good kid. He's a fugitive. Johnny sees Robbie as fundamentally good, and this situation is screwed up. Johnny hasn't worked through that yet. And Johnny says, why aren't you out looking for him? Johnny's kind of pressing them to try and find Robbie for him because, you know, no one else seems to be able to. Another thing is we see Johnny say, 
you know, this shouldn't, this one mistake shouldn't cost him, you know, his, his whole life. Right. To which the cop replies, Tell that to the kid he killed. To which Johnny's like, what? Yeah, because of course, you know, Carmen has told Johnny to get lost. Right. Johnny hasn't been able to find out what Miguel's prognosis is. But the Be- cops are definitely pessimistic about that prognosis. At this moment, I was not at all worried, but but Johnny is worried. Right. No, it's it's definitely a, meant to shake up Johnny uh, specifically. I ain't a doctor, but after two weeks in a coma, the coma usually wins. Pretty dire. Cut to the LaRusso mats. Sam is examining herself uh, in the mirror from last season. She still has a big uh, gnarly bandage from where Tori cut her with Chekhov's spiked wristband. That's right. And uh, it's triggering a little bit of PTSD for poor Sam. She looks distressed. She puts on a a sweater. She's going to hide this on her first day back to school after being expelled. Basically like Katniss Everdeen, fresh back from the Hunger Games. She's she's definitely feeling it, and it's no bueno. So now we cut to the high school where suddenly it does look like a Texan high school. They have security guards going through backpacks as if weapons were... Your body is your weapon in karate. Yeah, that's that's what? true. No one's checking anybody for karate at the door. Yeah, indeed. But the kids from Cobra Kai all get together. They're trying to hit on girls. Well, Hawk is trying to hit on some girls. But they remind us that they know about Hawk getting kicked into the trophy case by Dimitri last season. And also that he, once upon a time, was a bedwetter. They greet Dimitri and the other Miyagi-Dos like conquering heroes. That's right. It's like back to school, all minus Rodney Dangerfield. Shakespeare for everyone, okay? Uh, you too, honey. Ooh, I like to tame your shrew. And Billy Zabka. And Billy Zabka. As the gang has returned, um, you know, the it seems that the school is regarding the Miyagi-Dos as the big fight winners, the big kids on campus now. Yeah, of course, the fight isn't really over, right? Because the Miyagi-Dos and the Cobra Kais walk up to each other and start antagonizing each other. Because at this point, everybody has an opposite number. Hawk and Dimitri are each other's counterparts on either side. Mitch and Chris and Bert and Nate. And they're talking shit to each other when Counselor Blatt walks up and in an echo of the Karate Kid when Daniel pretends that he's friends with the Cobra Kais and and sets them up to have to listen to a boring history lecture, here Dimitri walks over and puts his arm around Mitch and Hawk, acting like everything is no big deal so Counselor Blatt can't get them in trouble. Everything all right here? Oh, we're all buddies here. Counselor Blatt's trying to be a hard ass, or at least as much of a hard ass as she can be, when who should enter but our old friends Moon and Yasmin. I'm so excited to see Yasmin again. Yasmin's back, gang. She spent the summer in Paris, and Moon warns her that she needs to be nice. Half the kids in school know karate now. Moon and Yasmin in this scene are here to give us a little bit more of an update on things that have transpired since season two. Apparently we're catching up on Aisha, who has now been whisked off to a private school somewhere not to be seen again. Yeah, Yasmin is relieved that Aisha's not going to be there because of that brutal front wedgie that she gave Yasmin at the end of season one, right? Ah, yes. But of course, this sets up number one, that we won't be seeing Nicole Brown as Aisha this season, which is a shame. Number two, without Aisha, the stakes are even higher for Sam because as Moon observes, Her and Aisha were friends since they were little. So Sam has no one with a deep loyalty to her left at the school. 
she's walking in now through the security checkpoint. Yeah, speaking of Sam, she comes right in and uh, she starts to get a little paranoid as all the kids in the lobby seem to be looking and pointing and laughing. I don't think they seem to. They are. Sam is in her own head because she walks up to the balcony railing and flashes immediately back to when Miguel fell, which is the last time she was in there. And we see Miguel falling. We see Robbie running away. And she's freaking out when Dimitri interrupts her reverie. Easy there, Captain Marvel. Same team, remember? And Dimitri's just trying to to chat with her as normal, but Mm -hmm. she just sort of flees the scene because it's too much. Cut to LaRusso Auto. We see Amanda looking at a report while Daniel is on the phone with, it sounds like a hospital, trying to find out where Robbie is, if they have Robbie there uh he could be there as a john doe but the hospitals and the homeless shelters he tells amanda are a dead end that's right uh also amanda and daniel let us know that the state of the dealership is no good sales are down bonsai tree stock is way up bonsai tree as since they haven't been moving that many cars uh, business is bad, but that means they were able to get Louie back at a discount. Yeah, much to Amanda's chagrin. Oh, by the way, I bought bagels. Yeah, she's less than thrilled. This is the first of many moments of the season where we see Amanda just underwhelmed by the men in her life. But you better haul ass. You're going to be stuck with the shitty cranberry ones. And in this case, it's Louie. And she just can't believe they had to hire him back. But Daniel observes that he was the first one there when Sam got hurt. And of course, Louie has gotten bagels, but... Some of them are cruddy, which further annoys the crap out of Amanda. And it gives uh, Courtney Hengler an uh, opportunity to flash some priceless expressions as she darts her eyes at Daniel. It's really fun to watch. But even Louis gets some character development this season. That's true. <laughs> Louis is back and apparently has had a productive summer at Fat Sal's doing inventory. And he's become something of a real logistics nut. Inventory is everything. I mean, it's not like cars here, but, you know. Chicken fingers, mozzarella sticks, onion rings, Russian dressing. He ran the old Enhance on the database of the trade-in lot and noticed they're missing one, a 93 Dodge Caravan. They comment that this caravan has been missing a couple of weeks and kind of speculate that Robbie probably stole it because that's the car that they were least likely to miss. Yep. Um, and they also point out that every car that gets traded into LaRusso Auto gets a GPS box bolted on to it so they have a chance at tracking Robbie down if they could just get that GPS code so now Daniel's got a mystery to solve gang yeah Louie doesn't understand why anyone would steal that and he's like because Daniel's like but because we wouldn't notice that one thing I love about the scene is that we get to hear Louie just sort of exposit on the greatness of Fat Sal's ingredients and he sounds kind of like Miracle Max and the Princess Bride talking about a nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. When the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe, it's so perky. I love that. Anyway, uh, Daniel and Amanda are discussing what to do. And Daniel thinks that they need to get to Robbie first before the cops do. It'll make it easier. Yeah, Daniel's plan here is to intercept Robbie before the cops can. Because if Robbie can turn himself in, he'll get an easier sentence. Uh, I mean, it's a sound enough plan if they can execute on it. Exactly. Cut to West Valley General Hospital, where Johnny is getting dropped off by the AAA Bales Bonds guy. In his placarded Hummer, where he tells Johnny that if he misses his court date, he'll hunt him down like a dog in the street, brah. 
There's a whole other TV show about yeah. that guy that yeah. we haven't seen, but exactly. it's happening this out there. This may be one of the dozen Cobra Kai spinoffs that are in the works. It's like um, that Nam movie we were always talking about. Exactly. So Johnny walks into West Valley General, and then we cut to Miguel, still in his coma in traction, and still having fight sequences in his head, defending his title in his mind. And those fight scenes are interspersed with actual flashbacks to his fight with Robbie. And Carmen and Rosa are there talking to him. Uh, Carmen is begging him to come back. Um, Boy, Vanessa Rubio looks so sad here. Yeah, Carmen and Rosa are hovering over our sweet boy Miguel with gentle words of encouragement while Miguel is desperately trying to fight his way out of this dream. And uh, it's not looking good for Miguel in the dream as he gets knocked down, but he might get back up again. Yeah. They're never going to keep Miguel down. A nurse tells Carmen and Rosa that he can hear them and they should talk to him about things he likes. And so Rosa (laughs) talks about the Dodgers making the playoffs, but says that she thinks they'll screw it up as usual. Yep. A lot of Dodgers talk this episode. They're putting on a brave face for Miguel, but they're obviously very upset. Um, And they tell him they love him and prepare to go away. And we pan close in on Miguel. Like his dream sequence looks really cool. Like it's got like really like dynamic chiaroscuro lighting it doesn't look like you would expect like a big auditorium fight to be lit like it's clearly like a dream sequence but it's not like blurry like you would expect uh you know a dream sequence to be shot we'll get more about how this show handles dream sequences later it's smart that they do it this way because it lets us see sholo fighting even though Miguel... Yeah. No, it's very clear. Like, it's it's choreographed really well. Yeah, yeah. So, meanwhile, uh, elsewhere in the hospital, Johnny is walking up to a receptionist saying he's here to see Miguel Diaz in the ICU. And the receptionist asks, are you family? Because only family doctors and patients are allowed there. And Johnny, with the weepiest blue eyes, says... Can't you make an exception? This isn't the Olive Garden. When you're here, you're not family. Those are the rules. No, indeed. Well, if you're Johnny, you're not family. But because his sad eyes aren't working, he shifts into asking... Can't you, uh, you know, break the rules? And... Come on, be a bad girl. I just want to highlight the scene as evidence that only Billy Zapka could play this role in this show yeah, because it, he can f- turn it on a dime. It's very good the way they're playing this where Johnny just comes up looking beat all to hell and he's still trying to sweet talk this nurse uh, with his Billy Zabka grin. Yeah. Nice try, Johnny. It's not going to work, but nice try. Yeah, but you know, after she refuses him again, he looks over and sees a discarded lab coat and clearly he's going to pretend to be a doctor. This is one of the many moments in the show where I think that the showrunners are... are intentionally seeding the show with moments from fanfics or fanfic like moments that that are like the fake us out to think that Johnny is going to do that a character is going to do one thing when another thing happens. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we see Daniel looking at the LaRusso auto GPS signal on his phone, pulling up in his Audi to what looks like a highway underpass. There's a lot of garbage in the ground and that's right. Maybe some unhoused people there. Yeah. Daniel arrives at this freeway underpass only to find the 93 Dodge Caravan GPS device. Yeah, because Robbie is no dummy. He worked at the dealership. And of course... He must have remembered we track all the trade-ins. Yeah. Which is basically what Daniel tells Amanda over the phone. But the call with Amanda lets Daniel think through some things, and he realizes that Robbie might be at one other place he hasn't yet looked. He's got one more hunch, one more idea to try just before... 
he gives up. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Johnny is looking at a name tag on the lab coat that he stole with a Vietnamese name on it, trying to pronounce it, and of course, failing. I'm Dr. L. Nguyen. I just need to get past that door. Johnny is cosplaying his new OC, Dr. 80s, uh, when out of another stall comes another hospital patron who almost <laughs> thinks he's a doctor, except when Johnny turns to face him, he's like, oh. You're not a doctor. So now we see that Johnny is not going to fool anyone in his ruse as Dr. 80s. So he throws the lab coat in the trash and improvises by bashing his head into a paper towel dispenser. Yes, exactly. Johnny, when he can't go MacGyver, he goes Rambo. It's a hell of a combination. And then walks up to the nurse with a massive head cut. And blood dripping on the intake he's form. A, he's a real massive head wound Harry here. Massive head wound Harry. Tonight's episode, the cocktail party. Meanwhile, at Miyagi-Do Karate, Daniel is pulling up in this Audi and all the old cars are now covered again. And it's a ghost town because nobody's doing karate right now. He's there to look for Robbie. But when he walks in, he sees a bag of In-N-Out. Is it Robbie's bag of In-N-Out? No, in fact, it is Sam's In-N-Out burger. Sam. Dad, what are you doing here? Daniel arrives looking for Robbie only to realize Sam has skipped school. Uh, well, with the brief stop by the In-N-Out. Daniel wants to know why Sam didn't go to school. And she explains that she just couldn't take it. And everyone was staring at her. Um, and Daniel looks sad. You know, this is another moment of his chickens coming home to roost. And I, I like this scene because he doesn't get angry at her for skipping school. He understands. Um, it sets up a lot of trust between these two characters. And we haven't had a lot of moments for that in the show because he was always so angry and paranoid about things with Sam. So to see him being understanding is a nice development in their relationship. And, you know, he has empathy because he's been in enough fights to know that it's hard to take. And um, she says, It's different when you're a girl. I mean, even if you win, you're not cool or tough. I think you're crazy. This is an interesting parallel to, like, slut-shaming, right? Like, a woman is in a double bind in these situations where a man would be seen as, like, a king. Well, we can get into it in the analysis section in depth. But, yes, I think this is some very interesting ideas that Cobra Kai is now giving us already so early in the season. I'm very happy. And Mary Mauser plays it real here. You know, she says then she thinks about what Miguel and Robbie are going through and she feels so guilty. So she's at the heart of that situation as well and feels like it's her fault. But Daniel says, All this started before you were even born. His genuine regret plays across Ralph Macchio's face. If not for me and Johnny, there wouldn't have been a fight in the first place. This is really nice because we see Daniel owning up to the problems but there is no easy solution we're just going to be in this in this heavy space for a while because things have gotten so dire yeah Sam laments that she thought that they were the good guys to which Daniel replies well we are at least we try to be he says that that's what's most important is to try to be and that you can't run away from your problems just a lovely scene and I like that it's slow and that it's patient and I like that he draws the analogy between them not being able to run away from their karate problems. He can't run away from his problems which with his business. Mm -hmm. You can really see there that those actors have cultivated a relationship over these three seasons. Uh, we have an establishing shot that shows that we're in the valley, not Atlanta. And uh, Johnny's being tended to by two ER nurses. We might need to keep him overnight. 
We're back at West Valley General. Johnny's examination continues apace. Lab found blood in his urine. He's informing the nurses that... Uh, got in a fight last night. That he's got some massive bruises uh, in his kidney area, which has caused him to get... It's a little uh, jam and lemonade. Delightful. Uh, and then he, you know, for emphasis, he pulls up his shirt and says, this has been bothering him a little bit. And we just see a massive, terrifying eggplant colored bruise all the way up his back. Mm-hmm. And says, typical Johnny. Little Ben Gates should take care of that, right? I have to hand it to the woman playing this doctor and or nurse. Um, who's just like, wait here. Her face when he pulls up his shirt is a thing of beauty. Yeah. <laughs> And Johnny, meanwhile, this has all been a clever ploy to get to Miguel. So this was Johnny's ploy to get inside the ICU in general. Indeed. And it it indeed his ploy has worked. He has gotten past security and he now gets uh, a few minutes of alone time with our sweet boy. He gets such a nice monologue there at Miguel's bedside. As a longtime consumer of soap operas, I have to say this is one of the best hospital bed monologues I've heard. I mean, he says that... You're learning so fast, getting so strong. Just give this man your heart and he will break it with his sadness, is my reading of Billy Zapka in this episode. And he says he failed Miguel and, and holds Miguel's hand and says... I'm so sorry. One thing that I really like about this is that he's just so real, right? We haven't seen this character be real like that. Uh, emotionally except at the end of season one but just this moment of such genuine sorrow is just really a lovely thing Johnny in his earnestness has caused something a little magical to happen we flash to if you can hear me kid I know you got it in you to pull through Miguel the dream warrior fighting his way out just gotta keep fighting just gotta keep fighting Getting the upper hand on his dream opponent. As Johnny tells him to never give up. Never give up. And Johnny's words of encouragement seem to be giving him just what he needs. Just as this pep talk appears to be working, a nurse busts in. Excuse me. Informing him that only family is allowed in here. Unfortunately, it's a case of pep talk interruptus as Johnny has to leave the ICU. Exactly. But you know who we haven't checked in on? The big bad wolf. That's right. So we cut across town back to Cobra Kai for the first time in this episode in this season. Uh, we noticed that Kreese has been doing a little redecorating. Well, just we're seeing this from Daniel's point of view, right? We hear the, the jingle of the door bell at the Cobra Kai dojo, and Daniel walks in because he's looking for Johnny. Johnny! Uh, and he passes the wall at the front, and instead of having the Cobra Kai logo, it now is colored to the same color as the special ops room and has stencil letters saying fear does not exist in this dojo, right? So this is Kreese's Cobra Kai. It's only taken two weeks. They've done a bit of a recolor on the dojo. Uh, Some of the red accents are now gone. They've been repainted gray. And yeah, we've got uh, a couple of different slogans up on the wall. Kreese's pops some practice weapons up on the wall. And of course, a giant Kreese Kringle uh, in the corner (laughs) to ward away any... Uh, I guess evil spirits. Yeah, or else on the shelf. Parents, get your Kreese Kringle today to help keep an eye on your little Cobra Kai. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be a Kreese's Cobra Kai without an actual cardboard cutout of Martin Cove. By now, he must have like 50 of them. Daniel's calling for Johnny, but instead, who walks in but Kreese himself, who always seems to have a towel. He's wiping off his hands and explains that the dojo is going through some renovations. He's very smug. He says, He's not here right now. So we're seeing that Kreese's MO is he's getting Johnny back. He's still antagonizing Daniel, talking about what happened at the school, that it's a tragedy, but you can't blame Robbie. Because you know what they say. There's no such thing as a bad student. 
which is what Mr. Miyagi used to say about Kreese's Cobra Kai. He says, It must really hurt to see the Miyagi name dragged through the mud. Which, of course, he's excited about. And he says that... Wish I could see the look on the little bastard's face. Kreese really doing an Olympic metal job of holding a grudge here as he starts needling Miyagi from the great beyond. And, of course, Daniel is... That little bastard kicked your ass more than once. He's just trying to, to crank Daniel up, and it works. Miyagi managed to beat Kreese more than once. PolitiFact equals true on that one. But Daniel says that... That's why I'm not going to fight you. Oh, but you will. And Kreese says... Inevitable. He's the Thanos of Cobra Kai. Indeed. And once he gets his gauntlet, a.k.a. Johnny. Johnny and I will finish it once and for all. They want to rule the galaxy together as father and son. So Daniel walks out the door. Kreese says, you know where to find me. Daniel is not interested, even though Kreese is laughing maniacally. And now we have another lovely shot over the valley. And we see Sam giving it her best. She's back at school. She sees the girls looking at her across the hallway, but she's just going to brave her way through. And in fact, she walks up to them and says, You want to say something? Say it to my face. This is the start of something we might come back to later, which is Sam going dark side as her PTSD is causing her to lash out at her fellow students. That's what I thought. She's definitely going to be tough about it, right? That's going to be her choice for at least the first few episodes, it looks like. Meanwhile, at Receda Flats, Johnny is walking in with a six-pack of course banquet in a can, and there's John. There, there's Daniel waiting for him. Um, and Daniel looks genuinely concerned when he sees that Johnny's face is all busted up. Johnny wants to know what Daniel wants. Daniel's already been to the dojo. He's confused that Crease has told him that Johnny's gone forever. When Dan- Johnny had told Daniel that Crease was gone forever. That's right. And so Daniel wants to know what the real deal is. Well, he's here for two purposes. One, he needs to know what the deal with Johnny is, first and foremost. But two, Daniel has a cunning plan that he needs uh, Johnny's help with. And this is Daniel's olive branch to Johnny. I got a lead on Robbie. Uh, that's what Daniel's been trying to call Johnny. I've been trying to find him on my own. Maybe you'd like to help. Nice they have each other's phone numbers. Daniel has a lead on Robbie which is the thing that will suck Johnny back in, right? He's trying to find him. And even though Johnny is sort of walking away from responsibility at this point, he is sucked in. And Daniel says, you know, that it's their fault that they're in this situation, but they both want Robbie to be safe. And then we finally see Robbie for the first time in this episode in this montage that's coming as Daniel talks. We see him standing at the place where he, where he left the car. Now we see Sam preparing to go up the stairs at West Valley High and she takes off her jacket and reveals the scars that she got from Tori. So, you know, she's going to own her situation. The whole reason these kids got into trouble was because of us. No mercy. Yeah, we're montaging a little bit here as we get Daniel's last big speech of the episode. We can't let them suffer because of our issues. We hear the EEG machine in Miguel's hospital room beep as the nurses rush in. The only way to end this is by working together. Yeah, the only way to get through this is to work together. So So what do you say? And as Johnny looks at Daniel and considers it, we see the camera pan in on Miguel with all these frantic beeps as Miguel gets in a few final kicks against his dream competitor. Yeah, and the camera over Miguel's bed pans down into his face as he suddenly wakes up. And that is the end of Cobra Kai Season 3, Episode 1, Aftermath.
With a dedication to Rob Garrison, of course. That's right. With a dedication to Rob Garrison, who played Tommy in both the original Karate Kid, a brief scene in Karate Kid Part 2, and Episode 6 of Season 2 in a beautiful scene, particularly with Billy Zabka. And so now is the point in the program where I turn to you and I ask you, Jenny... What did you think of this episode? I enjoyed this episode. Um, I was stressed out about it before we watched it because there's quite a bit going on here. There's a lot going on. And, and at the end of season two, as I said, they ratcheted up the stakes really high. And it was obvious that Johnny and Daniel were going to have to find a way to work together. But I wasn't sure how the show would go about setting that up and, and how long it would take the principles, Johnny and Daniel, to be real about how bad things were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I was really glad to see that they were both very real as characters in the gravity of the situation. That they, that that even though the stakes were kind of operatic, it wasn't soapy in the way that they dealt. They were both honest and direct with their issues. Well, thank you for bringing this up because I wrote in my notes uh, something very similar, a theme that we're going to see kind of play out over this season, which is how realistic they choose to play certain things over other things. Yep. Right? Like this show is really having to walk a razor's edge. From episode to episode, they have to decide whether they're going to be a fun throwback retro comedy or a serious show about important issues of bullying and toxicity, or whether they're going to be a soap opera where we're here for the characters' relationships and to watch them overcome obstacles. And so how they choose to play the realness of certain things over other things is really going to start to come into play. In this episode specifically is something that we kind of predicted and at the end of the previous season, which is all this fallout from the school fight, like karate footloose, karate footloose, the, the whole idea that the Valley would essentially go into karate lockdown once, you know, this school fight had happened is a very realistic place to take the show. I feel like that's something that could conceivably or near conceivably happen in a similar real world situation We've got this situation where it's like we've got security at the school. We've got all the... Hugs te- not hits. Uh, we got hugs not hits. We've got teachers with all their heads on a swivel. I think it's a very realistic way to play a situation like this. And other situations that happen this season, we'll, we'll get to, uh, they choose to play it a little less real or a little, or in some cases, a little more real. And, or like with Sam's PTSD as well. Like that's a a situation where they've chosen to take a very realistic tact to how Sam as a a young woman is going to process this very traumatic event that happened to her. And it forms like a whole plot line that will definitely be coming back to again this season. I think one thing that's really interesting is we're seeing again, the ethos of the show and, and, some of the things that the showrunners are trying to communicate and the writers, which is this sense that the world is really hard and that a lot of the strategies that institutions come up with are ineffectual, right? So, you know, jail is ineffectual. Um, 
hospital rules are ineffectual to a certain extent. Counselor blats are ineffectual. Counselor blats are ineffectual. Um, and people are, are angry at that lack of effectiveness. And the show seems to be setting up, although we don't yet know how Johnny will respond to Daniel. The show is setting up the idea that these sort of authentic collaborations, I mean, a person to person is the way to solve these problems. I don't know if that will be fully developed by the end of the season or by the end of the show. But, uh, you know, ideally for this world as well as our own, right? And I'm saying this through the lens of all the tumultuous events of our current moment in the United States. I would like to see both person-to-person connections and institutions be real and effective. But that's the frustration in the show is, you know, singing about, about having brunch instead of punching each other won't do it. Um, just coming up with catchy slogans won't do it. Um, and, and we've got to work through it in a new way. Right. So that's, that's an interesting thing. I also think it's worth pointing out that this show, you know, it's not just that Johnny is the main character. Daniel definitely is the main character, whereas he was an antagonist of Johnny in a lot of season one, even though he had his own arc and then he, you know, he had his own students in season two, we're beginning to see that Daniel and Johnny both kind of get the call to action in very clear ways Mm -hmm. in this first episode of the season. Like their arcs are in in the case of Daniel, it's sort of like, um, you know, Luke Skywalker learning that he's gonna have to face Darth Vader again. Like crease tells him that their fight is their showdown is inevitable and Daniel won't have it and walks off. He refuses the call. And then this episode concludes with another call to action from Daniel to Johnny about working together and it remains to be seen as to whether Johnny will accept that call or refuse it. Right. But so they're both on these, on these distinctive heroes journeys. I uh, like all characters have arcs, but they're sort of parallel in terms of confronting your enemy one way or another. You know, that kind of relates to something I was going to say, which is like where this episode sits in the season you know, because I, again, this is kind of a 10 chapter story. This is chapter one. We knew that Miguel was going to have to wake up at some point this season. And we spent a little time in the season two episode kind of speculating on how long Miguel was going to be in a coma before they chose to wake him up for story purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turned out the answer was exactly one episode. Exactly one episode. Right. And, and again, it, it you know, we'll we'll be coming back to this a few times, so I don't feel like we need to talk all about it here. But how they're choosing to do this and how they're choosing to unravel things is very interesting. I think, well, I've also seen some other reviews that also kind of called that out, that the show is becoming more of a two-hander between Daniel and Johnny, mm-hmm. whereas initially the show's premise seemed to be very clearly following Johnny and his arc as kind of an inversion of the original Karate Kid story. If you know anything about the origins of this show, like the the producers originally had it, the idea as like a movie sequel mm-hmm. to Karate Kid, except this time we follow Johnny. And if, if that is correct, then I feel like probably season one was the, fir- was the first movie they thought of. And then the season two and three are kind of like sequels to that movie that are kind of like stretched out a little bit. And so now, as the story continues to evolve, like it was originally, the show is called Cobra Kai. We're supposed to be following kind of like the the saga of the Cobra Kai side of the Karate Kid universe. And we are doing that quite a bit. But we also, with season two, we 
get Miyagi-Do back. And it forms like this balance counterbalance situation to where is like anything that that Cobra Kai tries to perpetrate on the valley is going to be, you know, mirrored or balanced out by the things that Miyagi-Do does. Yeah. And then there are some things that are going to happen later in the season that will complicate that even more. This is an underdog story, and Daniel is more of an underdog now because his business is in trouble, right? I mean, before this, his biggest challenges are sort of issues of his own creation. His desire to, you know, to manage everything meant that he didn't have really clear and authentic communication with his kids. Um, you know, he couldn't step out of Mr. Miyagi's shadow. And the the thing that the 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 trouble he's in now is also of his making, but it it's a bigger world issue where his livelihood is at stake. And the chips are down, as I said, for him in a way that is real. And because people are hurt, he can't, you know, that's that has anchored Daniel in the real world. And that's one thing that shows that Daniel's a, a really sympathetic character is the way in which he's come to care for all these characters. And especially in this season, we see or in this episode, we see that it's not just for his own, right? It's not just for Robbie or Sam. It's for Miguel it's for Johnny, like mm-hmm. the way that his face looks when he sees Johnny's face. Like he genuinely cares. And he knows Johnny better than he did, say, at the beginning of season one where he's conscientious but not really caring. You know, now he genuinely cares and the stakes are really high for him. And so um, he's just a more fleshed out character. It's so funny the way that in the Miyagi verse, certain characters, because of plot concerns, understandably, they kind of go into cold storage for a while. Like Johnny you know, obviously was in a cryogenic freeze between like 1989 and now. Um, right. And Daniel, you know, was also kind of in a way needing to thaw. And now we see him coming to life in this new way as he realizes all that has to be done to make things right. Absolutely. What do you think about the score? Right now the score, I know, I will say this spoiler, that the score is going to become epic this season more epic than ever before and it's already just debuted and is going crazy on the charts yeah that's a very good question because as the person who has to edit this podcast i'm often having to pull music to mix into our episodes and so i get to listen to a good deal of the score just by itself and if you have not checked it out on Spotify or any of the other music services, uh, definitely do that because they do post the the scores to Cobra Kai up there. And they have badass uh, names. Yeah, or on YouTube, I think it's also uh, on there. Um, but definitely, yeah, look, <laughs> look for those because there's it's, it's a very fun, playful take on the music because what they'll do is they pull in some pieces of the original Bill Conti score. They pull in some of the pop songs that have been used in uh, both Cobra Kai and Karate Kid over the years. It runs the gamut from fun little songs like Johnny's Internet theme from when he's using the computer uh, <laughs> to like some really cool fight music that they've used for the tournament and for, spoiler alert, some of the episodes to come. So yeah, the score is, is particularly good this year. So I wanted to say something about the characters we don't see. We only get one brief shot of Robbie. We don't know where he really is or what he's doing. We haven't seen Tori at all. But she's in the air, right? Yes. Otherwise, we see characters from Cobra Kai and Miyagi-Do, but the ones that we're really focused on are Johnny, Daniel and Amanda, Miguel, and Carmen to some extent. 
and Sam. Like, that's it. Well, I think that's fair. I mean, it's those are the most primary characters of the show. And again, you can't get to, I mean, with a big ensemble cast like this, every episode, different people are going to get highlighted and different people are going to get backgrounded. And it just becomes kind of this chorus of like different voices coming in and out. Some characters like Amanda form a very consistent voice and you can clearly see where they're trying to give her more to do because they like the things that Courtney Hengler is bringing to the table. And it's great to see her have that range of reactions this season, right? Where things are not okay. And the fact that she looks like that lets you know. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that for an episode like this, it's important to give us some status updates on who's gone and who's back. Like you mentioned, like it's a shame that Aisha is gone, but they try to give some lip service to why that is within the plot of the show. Plus, man, if she, if and when she comes back, it's going to be epic. And then also, same with Stingray. It's like... He had to go take Hollywood by storm. Bye. And Paul Walterhauser is definitely a, a fun actor, and I can see why they wanted to give him so much stuff to do, because he brings a lot of fun to the table whenever he's involved in those scenes. But for the direction the show is taking, even if... Regardless of his availability, I don't know if they would have had him necessarily back as Stingray because then it would have been a situation where it's like uh, you would have had with Dustin Diamond and Saved by the Bell where it's like, (laughs) what is this character doing around high school for so long? Like, yeah, it would have been a real screech situation. I'm not sure that's something (laughs) that they were going for. You know, the showrunners have made it clear that people can come in and out and that everyone is sort of part of this family. And, And that's one of the great things about this show is that it respects the work. And that is an Avildsen ethos, I think, yeah. that extends to the show. And it feels very organic to have the old characters return, right? Louie, who's back, you know, who got to grow a little as a character, the ultimate Jersey boy for our Jersey boy showrunners. And to have Yasmin back is fantastic, as Annalisa Cochran can just is delightful in that role. It's neat to feel all the possibilities. Was there anything else that you wanted to call out? Where's Anthony? Justice for Anthony. Like you said, it's a it's a chorus like anybody can come in and out at any time. So I have a feeling we'll be seeing Anthony soon. Yeah. The fact that I didn't note Anthony's absence until now just sort of demonstrates how successfully the show has normalized his his almost constant absence. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that unfolds. Speaking of unfolding, you can see how our show unfolds as you follow us on social media. Indeed. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. You can email us, karatekidpod at gmail.com. You check that email, right? I do check the email. Mostly it's just notifications from uh, Apple Podcasts and Anchor. But, you know, uh, if you email us with kind words, we might call you out on air. Who knows? You can also follow us on Facebook. Our episodes are on all major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. All the goodens. And we'll see you next time with the episode Nature versus Nurture. I've been Colin Kennedy. And I'm Jenny Carlson. And we'll see you around the Miyagiverse. See you around the Miyagiverse. This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. And wherever you download podcasts.